Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. So here we are, episode seven of the Fertility Podcast that's with you for National Fertility Awareness Week. If you've been having a look at the Fertility Podcast blog, you'll know that I've had lots of blogs from different guests who have appeared in different episodes. Uh, If this is the first time you're having a listen to the Fertility Podcast, please do make your way back, have a listen to some of the other episodes. Now, I have had a bit of an issue with my iTunes download. If you've subscribed already through iTunes, you might need to resubscribe because we've had some feed issues. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. And please do, if you're up for it, let me know what you think. Give me a review so I can know how to improve. This is a whole new world for me and I want to make the podcast as good as I can. This episode of the Fertility Podcast is focusing on male infertility issues. It's been something that I've been really keen to cover because during my mother half's experience we both found that there was little said about what the bloke goes through during fertility treatment and uh, the more I've looked into it the more I've found that there's not much at all and the first thing you're going to hear about is a brilliant blogger called Wannabe Dad. He's going to tell you all about his experience. He does it anonymously of which you'll hear more when we speak. He blogs anonymously Now, I was going to have other interviews as part of this podcast. Alan Pacey, who's a brilliant speaker, he's speaking at the Fertility Show this weekend. That's the 1st and 2nd of November 2014. You'll hear exactly where he's going to speak because I'm going to add a little bit extra on the end. But because Wannabe Dad told such an engaging story and I don't want this podcast to be too long, um, it's going to be a two-parter. So this is part one of episode seven and we're going to have part two of episode seven so in the second part you'll hear Alan Pacey talk about his expertise and I really hope that if you're a guy listening to this and you felt a bit of despair due to the lack of information that's there for you maybe you've sat down in front of a fertility specialist and really not been impressed with how they've spoken to you maybe you found like wannabe dad talks about the whole experience of having to give a sperm sample just hideous this might help all right it might just make you realize that you're not alone and as unfortunate as it is the male side of the whole fertility process just by talking about it a bit more it might make things easier so have a listen to wannabe dad all the details of how you can find out more about him will be on the show notes of which i'll remind you after so welcome to episode seven of the fertility podcast and i'm really chuffed about getting to speak to this guy you might have read his blog he's called wannabe dad he writes a really engaging funny and heart-wrenching at times blog uh, so honest I've, I've made my way through it all welcome to the fertility podcast wannabe dad hi there hello now we are going to do this under your blogger name because as many of us don't necessarily feel comfortable being you and this is the, the voice that you're putting on your experience has that made it easier for you to kind of get your words into the blog yeah it probably has and I think when I, when I started it I think uh, it um, it kind of helped me because obviously I was talking about quite sensitive things and trying to be as personal about the whole issue as I could really and I suppose by doing it under wannabe dad that's that's kind of helped that there, there is there is a part of me if I'm, if I'm being honest that um kind of thinks that by doing it anonymously I'm not quite going far enough uh, and actually it'd be better if I was me uh, because you know one of the main issues of this is that people don't talk about it and people are 
afraid and scared and uh, almost ashamed to you know say that they have fertility problems as a man my reasons for doing it under want to be dad are not my my name is is simple really is that it's not that I'm embarrassed by it it's that you know for myself and my wife to not have an escape from it really because as you can imagine I'm sure lots of people going through this it does dominate your life really you do nothing but talk about it uh, you do nothing but uh, read about it. You do nothing but go to meetings about it. So it's actually quite nice to go out for a meal with friends or go and visit family and, and not to talk about it. And our concern is that by telling family and friends, you know, that, that every time we see them, all they'll ask about is how we're getting on and uh, and there'll be no escape from it then. So that that's kind of my main reason really for doing it anonymously. Uh, although I do kind of recognise that by doing that, I'm probably not going as far as I should in trying to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. But I'm with you because the Fertility Podcast is done by me, but I haven't blatantly said who I am for the same reasons, because I think when you go through something like this, you have to self-protect. And I think you're 100% right that you don't want it to be the main topic of conversation every single day. We've talked on the Fertility Podcast with Kate Bryan and Jessica Hepburn, both who've had fertility treatment. This was in episode six. And I'm really keen to get the male voice on the Fertility Podcast because I think, and I'm sure you agree, there's much more for women probably out there. Women will talk more and it's so much harder for men to talk about it. And when I found your blog, it was a breath of fresh air. It was so brave. And so your perspective is what we really want to get across. So just talk me through when you when you first found out something was wrong, the test that you had to get you to that point. We, um, we obviously were trying for a while and we realised that, um, you know, it wasn't happening. So we went to the GP and saw our GP on a number of occasions. And, and she said, look, don't worry, it's, it's, it's probably fine. You know, it, you know, this happens sometimes. You know, you're young, you're fit, you're healthy. You know, don't worry about it too much. So we kind of didn't really worry about it too much. But then it kind of got to a point where, you know, we thought, actually, you know, this, this is taking a long time now. So we got referred to a specialist to go and have a kind of initial meeting about uh, having tests. So we, we obviously... We both had tests. Uh, my wife seemed absolutely fine. She'd actually had some pain kind of area. So she went for some tests before we actually realised anything was wrong. And, and, all, and all that was all fine. There was no no issues at all. So I obviously went from, for, you know, for my tests. And I kind of knew that something was going to be wrong. My, my wife didn't. I think I think she just assumed it would all, all be OK. Because and then I, you blogged about preparing yourself for that that conversation, which I was quite intrigued what, 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 because of the test with her, you just had a gut feeling, did you? I did, I did. I, when I, everything seemed okay with uh, with my wife, I there was just something I just thought, do you know what? There's something not quite right, and 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 that sort of bizarrely helped me when I when I heard that that uh, it was me that had the problem because I I kind of was prepared for it. So when I um, I rang up uh, the doctors, it was actually just before Christmas, and I, I rang them and said, you know, have you got my results? And they said, well, we have, but we can't really tell you over the phone. And I said, but, you know, it's Christmas. I've got to go away now for Christmas, and I'm going to be thinking about it and worrying about it all over Christmas. I'd much prefer just to know. And so I, eventually I convinced them to, to tell me, and they put me through to a doctor who basically kind of ran through the results and just said, look, I, I'm going to have to be quite blunt, blunt about this. That, you know, they're not very good, you know, on all kind of... And all the all the tests, you know, you scored pretty low. But it wasn't bizarrely, it wasn't a surprise. I, I didn't feel kind of really, really upset or you know, like I, I don't know. I just 
I sort of took the news and that was it. And I rang my wife. Probably was probably that was a bit of a mistake, really, because I hadn't because I felt okay at you that didn't point. Process it was, it. I didn't process it, so I rang her as it, almost to tell her, you know, that I'd picked up the shopping or gone down to, to get a loaf of bread from the shop. And of course, I was telling her basically that uh, we probably weren't going to be able to have kids naturally, and I hadn't processed that information I'd been given you know, into that conclusion at all. Do you think, course, though, that it was explained to you? I know it was over the phone, but do you think it was explained to you well enough about what that then meant, about what processes and procedures you'd then have to go through? Was it made clear that there was, however, a solution or a method, let's say, that you not could then really. go through? Right. No, it was a very, very quick conversation. And to be honest, you know, I, I was at work as well, so it wasn't a, it wasn't easy for me to... You know, I work in an open plan office. It wasn't easy for me to, to kind sure. of explore that further. Um, I mean, what, what the doctor did say was, um, you know, obviously, you know, you've just, you've just kind of been given this news, but, you know, book an appointment straight after Christmas and we'll, you know, we'll sit down and talk through what that means and, and where you go from there. And that, and that, to be fair, is what happened. We We got into see the GP pretty much in the first week after Christmas. And then, uh, you know, I have to be honest that the, the process has moved. Well, it never moves quickly, does it, with these things? You know, it's a slow process throughout the whole thing. And I've written quite a bit about that on my blog. But, you know, it, think, things happened. You know, we had the meetings and we got to the hospital and we saw the specialist. And, you know, things have moved on since then. Uh, and things have been explained to us fairly well since then I think. Now you made a really good point in one of your blogs about how before one of your meetings the pair of you sat and brainstormed about the questions that the key questions that you wanted to ask and you you really recommend that. Personally it's something that my other half and I took the time to do and and any friends that have talked about themselves going through the facility process we've kind of suggested the same don't be afraid to ask questions because ultimately whether you're self-funding or whether you're getting help on the NHS you have an absolute right to ask all those questions so the kind of stuff that you came up are you happy to share those kind of questions just a few of them yeah no of course yeah I mean and to be honest with you it wasn't um you know there weren't like really amazingly clever questions or anything like that it's just from our from our point of view we just knew what it's like going into these things is that you, you your mind sometimes goes a bit blank and you forget to ask things and you leave and then you think oh God, I should have asked that question. Yeah. So even the most basic of questions like how long does the treatment take? What are the side effects? What are the chances of it working? What happens if it doesn't work? What are the health implications? Are there dangers of having an unhealthy baby? Uh, if it does work, you know, all those kind of questions really, which are, they sound obvious, but uh, you know, sometimes the obvious you know, slips your pie when you're in, a, in what is a quite a pressurised meeting because you don't have, you know, these guys, these specialists, to be fair to them, they, you know, we had a, 30 minute slot or something you know there was another couple coming in after us you know there are other people going through this process and the hospitals are very busy and under pressure and probably uh, let's face it in the current climate of things probably slightly under resourced for the amount of patients they have to deal with you have a limited amount of time really to uh, to ask the relevant questions so we just felt it key to make sure we have that clear in our heads before we went in now we touched on this before that you and your wife have chosen not to talk to anybody about this from your friends and family. In episode two of the, the Fertility Podcast, we spoke with Susan Seenan, who who's the chief exec of Infertility Network UK, about the support groups that they run, both online and regionally. Have the pair of you sought out any kind of external support groups, or are you just relying on each other? Um, yeah, I mean, at the moment, uh, just relying on each other, but it is something we've talked about because, you know, there are, you do get to you know pressure points I think within all of this and we've both said I think it's probably at that point now where we might need to go and and, and, and talk to someone about it you know yeah. just someone that isn't isn't us because it is quite a 
claustrophobic uh, scenario to put yourself in, really, for what is quite a long period of time as well. Yeah, we, we haven't yet, but I, I do think they're important. I don't think anybody should be worried or ashamed to seek out counselling in some way. One of the points that Susan makes, and when you listen to episode two, you can, you and your wife can both have a listen, she makes the point very clearly that infertility is not your fault. And I know from you, we haven't talked about it properly yet, but you had an operation as a child. Um, so you know, who would know when you were, what, nine years old? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But from you and from your wife's point of view, first of all, infertility is nobody's fault. And second of all, it is classified with the World Health Organization, which I find fascinating this as an illness. And so when you think of it like that, you have every right to seek help and treatment, like if you had arthritis, you know, like if you had depression. And when you put it in that kind of box, you and I, as people that have kind of experienced it, it, it almost validates that, you know, you're all right to feel like this is a massive thing going on. Absolutely. And one of the um, one of the kind of sort of key moments that, that stood out for me through this whole process, really, and there's one of the reasons, actually, that I, I did start to... Because um, I started to write anyway, because I, I like writing, and I find writing helpful um, to me, and it's something I actually just quite enjoy doing anyway. Um, but I, I kind of took the decision to to start publishing it as a as a blog for people to to look at when uh, we had our kind of very first meeting with our fertility specialist and basically he was quite impressed at how we were dealing with it at that moment in time because we were kind of cracking jokes and and sort of laughing about it and I think he was quite shocked by that and he said to me I, you know honestly I I have blokes sitting there absolutely distraught can barely speak can barely look at their partner because they're so ashamed and upset about the fact that they can't make their wife or partner or you know girlfriend pregnant that just really shocked me and I you know because you know like you said earlier it's it's not it isn't your fault it's nothing you've done so you know why, why kind of sit there and, and blame yourself and don't get me wrong there has been times when I have felt a little bit like that and I felt very guilty that I'm I, you know you do feel sometimes like you're you're letting your wife down particularly when you hear about the amount of drugs that she's gonna have to inject and take and you just think god I wish that could be me because it's actually me that's got the problem unfortunately life doesn't work like that so that was kind of one of the reasons I uh, I, I decided to, to, to publish it you know, online in the first place, because I just thought, God, if there are blokes really thinking in that way, that's just not going to talk. And actually, maybe if I can write about how I'm thinking, it might, it might help even at least one person. How do you think, then, you keep positive about it? Because from a bloke's point of view talk about your love of football and going down the pub and being with your mates who talk about they make kind of crass comments about how easy they get their wife pregnant how do you deal with that that pride aspect you know of of not being able to do what seems so easy for so many and you make very funny references to Jeremy Kyle in your blog you seem to deal with it amazingly well what what do you think helps you Writing about it helps definitely because it's kind of a form of counselling. I think, yeah. um, to be honest, I think I'm I'm quite lucky that the kind of relationship that I have with my wife has always been quite a you know we've always kind of took the mickey out of each other. We've always sort of laughed and joked and wound each other up. And, you know, we we are kind of our our marriage is based on having a bit of a laugh. Really, I know it sounds a tough thing to say, but you know that's really helped. It was a brilliant this, thing this, to say. Uh, this, this 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 process has really really helped because we we still do that, and she's regularly taking the mickey out of me for having crap sperm and you know and it just it, it kind of lightened you know it lightens right. the load a little bit it may it turns it into something that you realize actually although it's serious it isn't it isn't my fault it's something we're doing as a you know working through together as a team 
but you know, on the flip side of that, um, you know, the truth is, I do have, you know, I do have dark days. You know, I've, I'm actually just about to start working on a blog because it didn't hit me until the other week that I've actually been having kind of moments quite regularly where I've been getting quite angry about really silly things. It stupidly didn't relate in my head that the reason for that was this. I, I didn't connect the two, which, again, when you sort of say it out loud, sounds really stupid. But I, you know, I was kind of, you know, someone would cut me up at a junction, I'd get really angry, you know, when driving or... You know, you get a bill through the post, which is wrong or, you know, is too much or whatever. And, you, you know, I just found myself getting really wound up about very simple things. And, you know, the, I think the, the point of this blog is probably going to be based around the fact that actually psychologically, when things don't work properly, I get angry. And uh, and you can kind of relate that back to, to actually what we're going through. It's basically something not working properly. It's frustrating. You kind of feel that frustration. So whilst I, I'm quite proud of how we are handling it in general, you know, it... it you do you do get kind of darker times and you do have moments. Um, it's almost better if one of us is having a darker time and the other's okay because you can pull the other one through it. There's been the odd occasion recently where we've kind of both been struggling and that, that's been the toughest. You know, I would say in, in the last six months there's probably been two or three occasions where we've both been quite in a bad place at the same time and, that, and that, that's been quite hard to, to, to kind of pull through, I must admit. But then, you know, that's to be expected and we do get through it and we, we kind of carry on as normal then. But also, and whilst the, the pair of you have got this solid kind of bond and the fact that you're going through this will bring you even closer, it is worth considering as far as having external help my other half and I spoke to not very many people, but we had some people that we could talk to that had been through a similar experience, which was an amazing help. And if there's that access, or there is not people you know, but other people from the different networks like Infertility Network UK, it's almost quite good to have that sounding board because ultimately your friends that haven't been through it don't understand. No matter how kind of sympathetic they are, they've not been through it. So it can be quite a relief if there's someone else that you can have a little chat with that you're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, even if it's just you talking. Um, so don't rule that out. I know you said you've kind of thought about it. No, we bit. haven't. We, ha- we haven't ruled it out at all in it. It's something we're thinking about. Actually, I mean, in recent, uh, you know, a sort of development for us really in recent... Uh, you've got to be ready. You know, it's got to be something that the two of you want to do. Yeah, no, d- definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think I think we will do. Um, there was actually um, some friends of ours who were going through a similar thing and have been going through it for a bit longer than right. us um and i did um you know he's a, he's a very close friend of mine uh for many years as well i have told him um recently which was quite a big um a big breakthrough in a way because obviously we hadn't told anybody at all um so he is the only person uh, other than my wife that, that knows anything about this and how did um, that feel uh yeah it felt good um it felt good you know he's and i think uh bizarrely it probably sort of helped him out a little bit as well um because obviously you know he's been him and his wife have been a bit more open about it um than, than we have you know they have told other people so a lot everybody knows about their situation um but i think from from his point of view and, and i sort of feel like this and you probably get this from my blog and uh, my Jeremy Carr references quite a lot but uh, you know it's true that everybody just seems to be pregnant all the time you know whether it's celebrities friends yeah. family it's everywhere and you do feel or potentially you could feel like you are the only one that, that's got a problem um, so I think in a weird way I probably helped uh, him out a little bit um, as well because actually you know someone who he's known for many years who's you know a close friend and you know spent a lot of time together over the years 
is actually going through the same thing. Whereas we've got friends who just get pregnant at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know, they, they just decide they want to have a baby and then two months later they're pregnant. You can um, you can you can guarantee that anybody who is having trouble trying to conceive has people all around them who because people don't realise and th- that's the thing and that's why things like your blog Wanna Be Dad and the Fertility Podcast are, are trying to kind of get people to maybe stop a sec and just realise that it's not always as straightforward and you talk very amusingly again about one of the members of Westlife who's boasting about the strength of his sperm and. That thing about blokes boasting, how have you dealt with that if it's been something yeah, that yeah. you've kind of been up against in the pub and you've probably had to bite your tongue? How have you dealt with it? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, yeah, it, 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 you have to do, well, you bite, you do bite your tongue, obviously. Um, there is a big part of me, and I, I've touched upon this a few times, where you almost just want to be absolutely blunt about the situation um, uh, in, in, a, in a weird way to kind of make them realise that it isn't easy. Um but obviously, you know, if you choose not to, to talk about it, you can't do that. Um, but, the, no, the Westlife thing kind of, yeah, that, that sort of made me laugh, really. I, you know, I, it was a Sunday, I think, and I was going through the papers, as I do having my breakfast, and I, I stumbled across that. I I did feel quite bad in a way because, you know, he, he comes across as a really nice bloke whenever you see him on TV, and he's got a lovely family. Um, and I'm absolutely convinced that it was a very kind of one-off, very kind of flippant, quick comment he made that's been turned into something by a, you know, a sub-editor when they've been... Yeah, it's know, a catchy uh, headline. It's a catchy, it's a very catchy headline. and um, But it, it, it sums up the general kind of perception that uh, is out there, I think, amongst society that... Um, and no one really thinks about the consequences of that. You know, we talk a lot uh, when you read, you know, magazines or newspapers about the airbrushing of models or, you know, uh, obesity or, you know, photos of celebrities you might have put on a bit of weight and what impact that might have on them. And, you know, there's always discussions about that when you turn on the TV, debates about, um, you know, how you make people feel about the way they look. Um, it's a constant debate on talk shows, radio shows, you know, new, it, people talk about it all the time. But actually, headlines like that have exactly the same impact on the people that are, you know, suffering from, uh, infertility or, or in this case male infertility but that would never be considered or never thought about at all um, in any way whatsoever um, it's almost like you're part of uh, a real kind of minority that's just ignored um, you know it sounds quite a dramatic statement but that that also be what it kind of feels like really because it's never ever talked about and I've been amazed throughout um, kind of writing this blog you know googling and looking, you know, around the internet or in papers, there is just nothing out there. If you Google male infertility, the amount of stuff that comes up is is minimal, absolutely yeah. minimal. And um, the stats show that it's like one in five guys, 25% of male sperm count causes infertility. It's much bigger than, yeah. than people realise. It just doesn't get the, the... It's just not very high profile. It's not talked about and... Um, and that's and to be fair, that's probably partly down to to, to us men, really, because yeah. you know we we don't we don't talk about it, we don't um, ever mention it, um, and we hide the fact that we've got problems. Um, well, we must do because you don't. I mean, I can't remember the last time I I met a, a bloke like me who's got fertility problems. Yeah. It's not something you talk about down the pub, is it? <laughs> We'll talk more about the the treatment that you and your wife are going to be having because it is positive. There is an end goal that you are heading towards treatment, which is all brilliant. But the treatment 
For example, if the woman, if it's IVF or if it's ICSI, the woman is going to be injecting or having no spray and there's a process that she goes through and the, the male contribution other than support is to go into a room and deposit a sample into a pot and you talk about that embarrassment and I know from my husband and I know when I've spoken to Jessica, to, to Kate on, on episode six of the Fertility Podcast, knowing that that's what your other half has to put themselves through, regardless of what you're doing, injecting, I know that it's an awful thing, even though it's not a, a, as time-consuming a thing. What do you think, from your experience, could be done with regards to the rooms, the kind of cliches with the magazines? I mean, I was thinking the kind of Carlsberg, you know, advert scenario, if Carlsberg were to make a <laughs> a, a sperm deposit room, not that I don't know what the right word is, that that scenario that you have to do, and I know you, you talk about hearing somebody else and the nurse being outside, all these kind of painfully embarrassing things. What could be done to improve that kind of part of the process? I mean, uh, pretty much everything. I, I mean, it was um, <laughs> it, it, it was just uh, yeah, it's just a uh, horrific. Uh, well, no, horrific's the wrong word because you, you're not painful. It's not you know you're not like I say you're not going through the the drugs and the injections that the, the female has to go through, but it is just the most awkward, um, uncomfortable, weird uh, thing to to do really. Um, and it's like you say, it's almost like you know time and medicine and science moves on and yet you know, the kind of the most basic thing you have to do within that process is still look like something back from 30 years ago um it it's you know when you watching films you know when you and they they, they kind of t- tell a story about it about it, it it looks like that you think things would have changed by now but uh i mean you know just on a very basic level i think you, you touched upon it um a more comfortable room really i mean the room that, that i was in uh was just horrible. I mean, you know, it it just felt dirty and nasty and yeah, just just not very nice. Um, somewhere a bit more <clears throat> more comfortable to you know to be. Um, I don't. It's really hard because uh, at the end of the day, it's always going to be a little bit awkward. Um, but I just think probably a better surrounding. I think that, you know. I mean, I touched upon in my blog the having to ring a doorbell. Um, to sit there and wait for someone to come and collect you. I mean, it's just, words can't really describe how weird that is. You know, even if I could just leave the room and then walk and then hand it in at reception, you know, that that would be less awkward for me. But to then, to ring a doorbell and sit there and wait for someone to come and collect you is always just bizarre. What do you think about tests that guys can do at home? Would you have done that if that was available? I mean, it's kind of a, quite a new thing that you can now get. A yeah, test. but it, it, it was it was available, but right. it, it kind of it, it it felt a little bit like Mission Impossible, really, because you had to get there in time, do it, do it at home, and then get there in time. And right. um, uh, and I just you know with work and everything, and it just wasn't really practical. Um, you know, if I'd have been if I'd have happened to be on a day off like I am today, um, potentially would have been a bit easier but yeah just not very practical and obviously you've got to get to the hospital and you know that we don't live close to the hospital particularly um so you know it, it makes sense to just to go and do it um yeah, i mean to be fair to the the nhs it's not an easy thing to make comfortable but um i think there are little touches here and there that could be done to make you feel less awkward and, that, and that's part that's part of the whole the whole thing as well isn't it if blokes are ashamed of talking about this then having to go and do things like that, which kind of make you feel a little bit kind of, you know, 
embarrassed and awkward. It doesn't help in that whole psychology of it all. Now, I I don't want to go through all the different bits of your blog because it is brilliant, but you talk a lot about the kind of things that, as a woman, we think too. Like, you talk about being surrounded by people who are getting pregnant. You also talk about the kind of ritual of of sex on demand, and it's quite funny hearing it from the bloke's point of view. When it gets to that point, and I know you and your wife, you've talked about this brilliant relationship that you have, and you've done all sorts of fun things, and you had a great sex life, but it did reach a point when you you are trying for this, this result that you can't help but kind of sex be on demand a bit. From a guy's point of view, I mean, did you feel it as pressure or was it just just became a kind of r- ritual? And, you know, the, the post-coital side, you talked about holding up her legs, hilarious. Um, I mean, d- did that, d- has that hindered you or are you just getting on with it? No, no, it's hindered. It's definitely hindered. Uh, I mean, you know, insert the sort of psychology of it all is, is difficult really because... You know, I've I've effectively been been told that, um, you know, I just don't have enough healthy sperm to realistically uh, get my wife pregnant. You know, it's, it's as kind of blunt as that, really. Uh, it's you know, I I've done a number of tests now; they've all come out with the same uh, the same results, uh, and it's very 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 low. And uh, you know, the doctors were being quite clear about that. That yeah, you, you know, you can keep trying, obviously, but uh, you know, reality is it's it's probably not going to happen. They were quite blunt and quite honest about it. Um, so that that psychologically, that does have a uh, quite a major effect on things. So we you know we've gone from you know using a one of those machines that says when well, my wife's ovulating uh, to kind of you know basing our life around that beeping machine, which I talk about quite a bit. Um, we've now ditched that machine. It's somewhere in the attic in a box somewhere. We just we kind of got to the point where we don't really see the point of that yeah plus plus my wife i think has actually got to this got to a stage now where she knows a body well enough to, to to kind of know really um so we don't necessarily need uh you know need that machine as, as much as we did before but truthfully um we, we don't really base our sex life around it now because Good. um we don't think that in reality is going to make much of a difference to whether we're going to have a child or not because i think the odds are just so just so crazily against us if you are basing your hopes and your dreams and everything around that sort of short period of time every month you you know you can be sort you know very very disappointed and you know i think i, I mentioned in one of my blogs about the, the kind of there have been times where my, you know my wife thought she might be pregnant and it just turns out to not be at all it's quite it's quite hard at the end of every month to go through that process uh, and that was probably having the biggest impact on us i think so we've we've kind of ditched that whole process now and we just kind of get on with things and don't think about that period of the month too much. You know, it's hard to take all our eggs in one basket now with the with the treatment because we know that that you know there's a chance that that may not work either. Obviously, but I think you've got to be able to live your life like normal people. And I we got to the point where we felt like we weren't because everything was just so much about this. Yeah, I think you capture your feeling and going through what you see your wife feeling really well. And I, I really advise guys to have a look at your comments on your blog. Because as a girl, you know, each month when you are trying to conceive and you get your period, it is hard to deal with. And it's really lovely to see that you do get that as a bloke, because often we just think you don't really know what it's like and how it feels. Now, you're going to be having ICSI as your treatment, which is a different form of IVF. And I know you talked about the concerns that you had about that, but um, still lots of successes with pregnancies with it. In preparation for that, you talk a lot about booze, you and your other half. You like a drink, that much is clear. And you've been talking about your frustration in that because of this, you try not to drink. 
And I tell you from personal experience, my other half and I did the same. We decided we wanted to be pretty much as fit and healthy as we could be and abstain from drinking because at the end of the day, it is a toxin. And why not? Now, how are you dealing with it? Because I know you, you're angry that why should you when someone else can have a drink and be whoever he is and get his wife pregnant or his other half pregnant. Are, are you able to think, no, this is a short period of time that I don't need to have a drink and this is really important? Or are you still angry about the fact that this is happening? You know, it, it, it is annoying. Although, actually, for a good couple of months now, we haven't drunk at all. And, you know, we do feel pretty healthy. You know, been exercising a lot, feel quite fit, trying to eat a bit eat a bit healthier too can i ask do you feel because we did the pressure of other people asking why you're not drinking when you're in the pub or you're out and your mates are like what do you mean you're not drinking that in itself is hard enough yeah no it's tough particularly i think uh you know in terms of my my wife i mean we've always been quite a sociable couple and we've always liked to have a drink i wouldn't say my my wife's developed a reputation for drinking uh because that sounds completely completely hard she won't thank you for that one no but, you know, we've, we've both been kind of seen as the couple that, you know, likes to have a drink and enjoy ourselves. And to go from that to not drinking, it, it seems to stand out quite a bit, I think. So, yeah, that has been really difficult. There's been some stuff that's been going on recently. I've, I've been taking part in some sort of fitness challenges, which has helped because obviously you can use that as an excuse not yeah. to drink. That's made it slightly easier. And then, of course, my wife can, you know, say, well, she's just doing it to support me. It is what it is, really. But, you know, I, I, I agree with you completely. You, with this whole process, you seem to spend your life having to fend off questions and, and lie, <laughs> basically. Yeah, um, it's really hard. And people don't realise how hard it is. It puts an amount of distance between you and your close mates because you're hiding. You are hiding something, ultimately. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and, and, and close family as well. I mean, I you know, I think that there are, you know, members of, of, of our family that will be really, upset and gutted that we didn't tell them and they weren't there to help us you know well I know for a fact that they will because you know we're you know we're close to them and I think they'll almost take it as a kind of rejection almost I think because you know we we didn't we weren't honest with them but I think we just have to explain to them as I kind of said to you earlier that that, that it's been our escape to not have to talk about it I completely Um, agree and I think that they won't be rejected I think they'll just be a bit sad that they couldn't be there for you yeah yeah I think so we're uh, in a couple of weeks. We've got a uh, we've got an appointment with a nurse to talk over the sort of schedule. Really, I think okay. um, a lot of that will be around my wife's body clock. Sure. So depending on where she is in the cycles. And, and you're going to wait till depends. after Christmas, or you're going to just get going? It, it it completely depends on my wife's cycle and where things fall sure. when we have that meeting. Basically, I think because obviously you have to start taking the drugs at a certain. Um, it also depends on whether because I think if the timing does work, uh, bizarrely it will all kind of. The, the key moments in time, if you like, will be over the Christmas period. Typical. Uh, and I don't know whether, and they said this at our um, our group meeting the other week, I don't know whether the hospital will be administering the relevant processes during yeah. that period. So it may be that they just say to us, look, we'll start in January. Um, so, you know, I've kind of in, we're in sort of two minds about that, really. One is, well, actually, that's annoying because that's more waiting. Uh, but the other part of us actually is thinking, well, Maybe it's just better to start in the new year and get Christmas out of the way. Also, you've got very good at waiting, haven't you? That's part of this process. You get very you do, patient. You? Yeah. you get you very, very patient. patient. And the thing is, you know, you want to just do it. You've gone, you've come this far. You might as well just do it at the best way that's the least stressful. The, the, the kind of it's about positivity, I think, and, and thinking thinking positively is important. Um, 
you know that you're kind of promise you you're made with your you know with your husband it, it's about positive thinking and i think if you have that mindset then you're giving yourself the best the best chance i think if you go into it negatively i'm kind of a great believer that you know well it's just not the great way to set yourself up for anything so um well you know we'll, we'll be positive about it and we'll uh you know go in well we are we you know we're preparing ourselves the best way we can physically and you know how you know in terms of our health so we'll we'll, yeah, we'll give it our best shot and uh and, and, and see what happens I, I guess and will you carry on blogging through this next part oh yeah yeah no i'm going to continue to do that I, it, it really helps me um you know i so i kind of I, I enjoy writing and um it just feels to me that it, it, like i said if, if one one bloke out there that's feeling completely crap about this whole thing reads it and thinks actually there are other people like, like me out there um it's okay then I, I think it would have done some good and I, I really hope that is the case um it, it worries me to think there are people knowing what i'm going through or what we're going through to think that there are lots of people out there potentially going through it too but not we're not talking about it and i just think i really think we should and hopefully we check in with you at a later date and have another chat see how you're feeling see how you're doing you rather half i assume read your blog she does yeah she yeah does, yeah yeah i mean sometimes i get her to to, to kind of uh proofread it if she's around she's, yeah. she's very busy with her work and stuff as well so um it depends but um because i i find sometimes uh <laughs> you read it over and over again it kind of becomes a a bit of a blur to you, so it's quite nice having someone else reading yeah, feedback. But, um, well, it's great. No, she does. It's a great blog, and um, we'll put oh, all the you. details of it in the show notes for this episode. And um, we'll keep in touch on Twitter at wannabedad, and your blog is wannabedad.com. And best of luck for this next bit. This is the exciting bit, you know. This is the bit where you're like, right, now, come on, let's get down to action. Um, so <laughs> we've got everything crossed, and do, do keep me posted on how it all goes. Thank you, and thanks for uh, thanks for reading, and thanks for all your nice feedback. I all right, that. we'll chat more. All right, take care, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Interesting stuff, hey? And I mentioned at the start of the podcast Alan Pacey, who is a professor at the University of Sheffield. He's going to be speaking at the Fertility Show this weekend. He's speaking tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday. Just have a listen now to Alan explain what his lectures are going to be about. If you're anywhere near London or you're able to get to London this weekend and the Fertility Show is of interest, do get yourself there. Episode 5 of the Fertility Podcast is an interview with Jonathan Scott, Managing Director of the show. Loads of details about what's going on there. And make sure you come back for part two of episode seven to hear Alan's interview in full, all about male infertility, issues affecting it, what he thinks needs to be done. Fascinating interview. Interviews with fertility experts on the Fertility Podcast. Now you're, you're talking this weekend at the Fertility Show, Saturday at half past three and Sunday at a, a quarter to one. Just tell me a quick overview of, um, of what you're going to be talking about. Well, it's an interesting um, venue, the Fertility Show, and it's it's one of the only venues in, in the, the year that I get to talk to such a mixed group of, of would-be parents. And the audience is usually mixed. It's from people who are trying to conceive and, and may or have not yet been successful, or patients who are fall into the category of, dare I say, the worried well, uh, and they're just there okay. to find information. So what I try and do in my lecture is outline some of the biology, why uh, how sperm are produced, um, what can go wrong, uh, what we can do to diagnose some of these problems. And then I finish on some of the things that I've been talking about earlier in the podcast about 
um, some of the myths. Is a bacon sandwich going to be detrimental or should you have a banana? Um, <laughs> should you cut out alcohol altogether or can you have uh, some alcohol and, you know, do, do different styles of underpants have an effect? And so I talk about those things in quite a candid way. What I try and do is to get men to be sensible uh, about this because being a man and knowing lots of men, I know that we often do not take advice <laughs> very well sometimes. Yeah. And I don't want to stand there and say, thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that. So I try and lay the evidence out in front of them in order for them to make their own decisions. And if only they pick up one or two bits of information and make one or two changes, then my hope is it may help at least some men in the audience either come to terms with, with what's going to inevitably happen in terms of assisted conception or maybe take some advice that allows them to ultimately avoid that. So I hope you found that interesting and I really hope that if you are a guy listening to this or maybe if as a woman you're listening to this and you're thinking this is just what my other half needs, do please pass this on. The only way we can get men to be braver about talking about issues affecting their fertility is by making them talk. You know, us girls are, are so vocal at times and we'll blog and we'll tweet. I mean, I was looking at Twitter just this week and there's so many women on Twitter who are sharing their IVF journeys and there's hardly any blokes. Wannabe Dad, I think, is the only guy. I might have found one other guy who's going to feature later on the Fertility Podcast. Please do get in touch if you've got any questions uh, about anything that's gone on in this podcast. You just email questions at thefertilitypodcast.com. If you've got a story you'd like to share, again, email it's stories at thefertilitypodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at FertilityPoddy. And please, please do subscribe. You can do that via iTunes. You can do that via the website. If you've come to hear this podcast at thefertilitypodcast.com. Uh, subscribe, download it, share it with your friends. Uh, I'm really just trying to spread the word and any feedback that you're happy to give, that of course would be welcome. If there's one thing that you pick up from listening to this podcast, I hope it's that infertility affects men and women in the same ways as well as in so many different ways. And uh, if you're in a couple, you just need to talk. One of your dad gives so many good examples of how him and his wife are getting through this process. And I will check back in with him the show notes so it'll be the fertility podcast forward slash episode seven and until the next time the fertility podcast